Hi, this is Tracy Savage. I'm Debbie from Friday the 13th, Part 3. When I'm not hiding from axes or arrows or trying to keep Shelly quiet, I'm listening to Nightmare Junkhead. In and out of your consciousness, like a bad dream you can't wake from, this is the Nightmare Junkhead Podcast, a horror podcast that knows nothing hits the olfactory senses better than the smell of fresh feline. Wow! My name is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And on today's episode, we're again getting grody to the max as we head into the mouth of March Madness and travel back 40 years to talk the horror classics from our 1983 bracket. And whether you've had your rabies shots or not, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your Audra hole. And if you are out uh, following us out on social media, uh, you can get all your updates on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and totally gnarly shenanigans. And as this episode is going to be releasing on Monday, March 6th, uh, if you find yourself in the Kansas City area, head on over to Screenland.com where you will find they have your gnarly shenanigans taken care of uh, indoors and virtually. And again, weird to be coming to your ear holes in on a Monday, Mm -hmm. but as in... Into the mouth of March Madness. Yep. The madness begins. It's officially, crazy. Officially. Yep. Twice a week. Twice a week. All, all up in your business. Now, that being said, uh, we are recording way in advance. Yes. So if you're listening to this, you're listening from the future. Which is a roundabout way of saying we don't know exactly what our latest Friday Night Fright will be. Because the only way to contain the madness into March is, is to, to start in early January. We're like inoculating we, we listen at this point we've survived barely enough winters to really know how to thrive and survive exactly exactly we're smart not hard exactly so if we don't want like april <laughs> may june july because i want to have kai june you know i don't want to still be doing march madness and kai june so <laughs> good god that first year that first year we did we learned a lot so that's a long way of, again of saying uh, head on over to screenland.com to see what our latest Friday Night Fright will be, what the latest repertory screenings are going to be happening. Um, and the most important reason to be following us out on the social media is, of course, it's to, to get the little tool, the bracket. How are you going to play if you don't have the tools? So continue to please send in your completed brackets. And of course, show your work. We are sticklers for that, mm-hmm. especially first round. The first round, it is all about that. Now, here in the round of 1983, we have eight films, which was hard enough yes. to whittle down to eight films. But we have eight films looking to make their way into the round of the Scream 16. And Mm -hmm. we don't do this half-heartedly, Genius. Mm -mm. In fact, I'd like to think we do a holistic approach Mm -hmm. to our our criteria and that we think both with the heart and with the head. Mm -hmm. So the first things we're going to ask ourselves is which of the the two films is closer to your heart? 
Closer to the heart. Yeah. And then, of course, we're then going to think, I'd like to think logically, Mm -hmm. and look at the bracket topic and break it down via there. Yes. So that being said... Hell yeah. yeah, I am so stoked. It's I'm looking forward to this. March is always a fun time. Well, and it's really weird now just recording it on the day we're recording that it's already here. It's just it's one of those things that hits you hard. But be prepared. We and we are prepared. In oh, yeah. fact, less so, is learned. So much so our first matchup in the round of 1983 mm-hmm. is one of that I would like to think would scare the hell out of you. <laughs> because in the year of 1983, not only did I think Michael Jackson like moonwalk across the stage, mm-hmm. uh, but it was the year that everyone, everyone yeah. had a Stephen King book in their house, in their local library, in their Somewhere. school library. In the school library. Everybody knew of Stephen King, synonymous name Stephen King. Early 80s was, ba- well, since 70-something, but there's been a banner year for Stephen King. Just but continue like, to get banner. As you see, there's multiple instances of King in this year alone. And this is not even the selection bracket and anything. This is like, this is a King, a King crown year, crown jewel of a year for the King. And it was also early enough that I didn't really know what Stephen King looked like. So mm-hmm. by the time when I finally saw him. Who's this yokel? I was like, that's Stephen King. Who's this fucking bumpkin? His unibrow was bigger than mine. Right. Like, I actually had, held mine proud <coughs> once I realized Stephen King was a fellow unibrow. Yeah, he's over there like, hey, I'm the biggest star in the world. Zhang Zoom, the world, scaring the hell out of people. And you're like, okay, cool. You're fucking rock. All right. <laughs> And we've long since lamented, like, just how wonderful he is. Uh-huh. But then in the 80s, his properties was, and he would just became synonymous with something you would see. You would eventually know. Scary. From the book to the screen, you would see an adaptation. Mm-hmm. And in fact, one of the many reasons we love Stephen King is he has the audacity <laughs> to call out. In fact, technically, in this case, he's calling out both John Carpenter and Louis Teague in our first round bracket matchup in the Maximum Overdrive trailer. Yep. If you got to want to do something right, do it yourself. <laughs> you know what? Stephen King might I need to... I liked it. Stephen King might need to be... And on, on the Hollywood... I think yeah, so. Okay. I think so. So our first film and our first bracket topic <laughs> in the matchup, we call it King of the Killer Nouns. Uh-huh. Shout out to Nerdoween. And we have um, John Carpenter's Christine... Going up against Louis Teague's Cujo. Mm-hmm. Genius, which two do we talk first? Let's do Christine. So Christine is a film that... Body by Ford. Soul by Satan. We've been fortunate enough to see it close out a carpet, an unofficial Carpenter Fest. Mm-hmm. We've seen it as a various repertory screenings. Multiple times. And and, it's, and like Beetlejuice. Like, like Beetlejuice says, and it keeps getting better every time I see it. Every time. I find something more and different that I like or yeah. appeal to me than the previous screening. Or the story hits a little, the same story, but a little harder in some areas or a little deeper. And I think as we go throughout the 1983 films, the baggage we bring changes the way we see things. Especially this year. Yeah. Has altered a variety of the films that exist in this bracket. Mm-hmm. None more than Christine. 
I remember my first car. It was a Ford Tempo, 1992 Ford Tempo, that we christened the Monomobile. As as I mentioned many times, as part of one of the Johnson County crime fighters, uh, mm-hmm. my moniker was Mono Man because I contracted mononucleosis when I was in high school. And <laughs> of course since you did, hence the Ford- and then your buddies just busting your balls from then on. That's your moniker. I wore it with pride, right? And but that I drove that Ford Tempo into the ground. That was such. It was a stick shift. That's where I learned to drive. So. As, as some of our listeners might know, I used to rollerblade back in the day. And I wasn't so much a good rollerblader as I was just probably known. My main thing was I could actually drive a stick shift with my rollerblades on. Ah. So by the time I hit like a spot, I could like roll right into a trick while everyone else had to throw their skates on and shit. Nice. Dangerous, yes. Talented, yes. Practical, no. No, not at all. Foolheartedly, obviously, yes. yes but... The connection between your first car is legit, whether it's a classic or whether it's a tempo. Do you remember your first car? Oh, yeah. It was a piece. It was this hand-me-down from my aunt. It was a 1982 Chevy Citation, two-door, light dookie brown. Um, it had a AM radio, and it lasted maybe about three four years and then like somebody jacked it and broke into it and then it didn't work from then on and so yeah so then i had to start getting a new car by then by then i was like trying to save money for a car anyway because i'm like i need at least a car with the radio and it was that and the it had no radio so this but so it had my aunt had this little am attached radio that also had a cassette player Mm -hmm. right but then the speakers had were detachable and it's not necessarily detachable, as in they were detached, and I had to attach them somehow <laughs> through a little like cord on the side just to have an AM radio and a tape player, and it sucked. Mm-hmm. So then to have any sort of like music whatsoever, because I'm trying to drive to school in this little piece of shit two door that the seat didn't really move back far enough, mm-hmm. but I thought I had to get to work and, and school. It was transportation. Yeah, so I had the tape that attached to the cord that attached to a Walkman or a CD player. Oh, yeah. The CD player Walkman. Oh, yeah. Right? That then attached to another detachable speaker. So I had this weird, like, Cronenbergian setup just to have some other some semblance of sound just to have some other than am and this was like early 90s am radio so it was either just talk or hallelujah so it was not all right with you at that it point was not all right with me it, there was no gold on that am so necessarily you don't so you're not as connected with as arnie as was with absolutely Christine? not in fact i remember it for bad reasons not necessarily good reasons sure so and that's this movie is all built into nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of the rare horror films that uh, I think both Siskel and Ebert dug. Yeah. Surprisingly. But what's I think it's one of those films that's kind of a wealth of riches uh, because of all the people involved with it. Yeah. Like, top to bottom, you've got great character actors. I mean, Keith Gordon alone, his journey, I mean, he's the main focus. Christine is his car. Is it a character in itself? Right? I mean, it even shows... How even in the trailer, it just says, like, look, the body, the curves and all that. And she shows off everything she's got in multiple scenes. Just this interaction between the car and Keith Gordon, where 
he's acting and you fully believe this is a full-on relationship between like a man and his car the moment that hits differently every time when they're in the garage the presenting scene show me right oh. she might as well be hunk or christine might as well be hunking come on over she might be like the summer isle taxi cab because like <laughs> it's it yeah i'm like it's it's and then whoop, 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 whoop. she fixes herself up it's and, unreal yeah it's, and it's so cool because number one it's all practical mm-hmm. and, and you don't even have to marvel at the special effects but just that moment between them and you just when you realize oh We've kind of lost Arnie. He's gone. He's gone. Right. And you really then start feeling for the side characters, Alexandra Paul. Yeah. Uh, it's just one of those that, that oh, what are you looking? Oh, no, 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 no. No, and then the music. Oh, the music? Just alone by itself. We haven't even talked about the cinematography or anything like that, but the music alone. My goodness. The, 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 the hauntingly beautiful score when... Christine's coming down the dark highway aflame, oh. just chasing after that 30-year-old monster. William Ostrander's buddy. <laughs> that guy is something, he's like a grease reject. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, that scene, when they're getting ready to trash Christine. Gonna fuck up Christine with my crowbar hand. Christine, go Christine. And they're playing on a lot of the nostalgia of the 50s. Uh, you got Robert Protsky. As just the just gnarly guy that's letting Arnie come in. That actually, he's great. He's wonderful. He's great. You fucking punk kid, think you can take my junkyard, do whatever you fucking want? The, You're all right, kid. Why and where is Buck Flower? Right and Christine. Exactly. Was he working something else? He what? was. He was probably like working. He was the janitor at the um the car plant where he was working. Got to work in his goddamn conveyor belt, picking up all these pigheads, droppings and shit. He's probably the first victim. I bet you, like before the guy, before <laughs> the dude uh, got it in the beginning, he's probably Buck Flowers is in the trunk somewhere. He probably stepped into Christina grab a stip a hooch. Well, and then the first victim actually, he is another he's noted a character, character actor, Art yeah. Evans in Fright Night. He is he's that guy in so many movies, and there's so another many car- and none better than the smell of a new car. I'm not gonna say the Don't rest. Don't say the rest, but that guy and that 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 just weird, the aluminum monster shit he's got going on. Un- I mean, just <laughs> like everything about this movie, Stu Charno showing up in the film is one again one of the, one of the many street. They're kind of street toughs, the bullies. Yeah, like I. They're this, like thirty year old street toughs. Kelly Preston, Kelly Fre- surprise Kelly Preston, surprise Kelly Preston, Sur- the best kind of Kelly Preston. And the best way of this film is it's always a surprise. Yeah. I always forget how funny it is, how personal it is, how sad it is, mm-hmm. how scary it can actually and be. And how it can be interpretation because people can say, oh, you think like Christine injected him, like rejected love, or do you think he's like, you? like no, that's one last embrace. That's- the ending... It's very left At a lot least, of interpretation, and the fact that he just like you have thirty minutes to move your cube, you have fifteen minutes to move your cube. So like, <laughs> it's it's one of those ones where I don't think it gets enough credit in neither the King nor the Carpenter catalog, mm-hmm. because I think movies like the like last year's winner, The Thing, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of overshadows Christine, and even though. King himself has come out. That movie's trash, you know. I think 
he's kind of wrong on that one. Well, what's crazy is the fact that due to the um, critical failure of the thing, Carpenter was kind of a work for hire director, which led him. He didn't to even want to do this, but he still he needed the money and he needed he the work. Did some really effective, very good things for this. This is this is one of my favorite of those King uh, King Carpenter collaborations where you're just like, yeah, everything works there really nicely. Uh, so that leads us to our other uh, little, you know, uh, King of the little little King collaboration, Louis Teague. Who is another one of those filmmakers where you go, wait, Louis Teague, why do I know that name? And he is responsible for uh, a number of films that we actually dig here on the show. And again, one of the things that I love about Into the Mouth of March Madness. You know, fuck, he directed Alligator. Anybody who's going to direct Alligator, again, he's working with animals. Like he and he uh, helped out in Death Race two thousand. So like Louis Teague, he's been Legit. in some. He's been in some good stuff. He's some gonna of your be favorite a good shit. collaborator with the King. But this is a movie. But let, no, actually, let's just start with this. You talk about a name that even a normie knows. Well, with both of these, Christine. A bad, when you talk about a killer car. Yep. Like oh, get that dog out there, fucking Cujo. He could be named Skippy. <laughs> Rex, like Biscuit too, but Cujo, unfortunately, synonymous with badness. Now making Saint, giving Saint Bernard's a bad, a bad name, name, right? You know, <laughs> because now, okay, so for example, back in the day, you'd like, oh, you got a, you got a Doberman, because like when they say, um, when it, it came out, uh, they Omen. killed their trainer, yeah, the train, and that movie, they kill their trainers, don't they, or something like that, the Doberman gang or something. Mm-hmm. Dobermans became. Public dog enemy number one. Then all of a sudden you can't have Spuds McKenzie because Pitbulls became public enemy number one, you know? And now you can't have, because Cujo, St. Bernard's is in that same list as like possible. And if you own a St. Bernard, you have to register it. You have to get special insurance for like dog bites. Unreal. Unreal. And here's the thing. There's no such thing as a bad dog. There's only bad owners and trainers. Of course. And this shows it. The the dog didn't do anything but chase that poor bunny. And even at the beginning, I'm sitting there, uh-oh. You know, anytime they now show an animal in the movie, I felt so bad for Cujo in this movie. Here's the thing. This almost was the animal version of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I can see that. Because it's kind of a home invasion. It's not his fault. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's sick. You know, oh. and yet when I was young, I was like, that's a big mean doggy, you know, and I'm scared of the, that that dog now. I'm like, oh, shit. And now people are scared, like just like Jaws, which we'll talk about later. Mm. Right. But like the dog didn't do anything. So this is one of those. He was one of those tragic villain figures. What's interesting with this movie now watching it as an adult is you have all these people acting on their basic instincts with Cujo, he's out chasing the the rabbit, goes down into the bats, boom, bits, all the chaos happens. Right. What struck me this time watching it is it's not so much all about the, the, the killer dog carnage, but it's the breakdown of this marriage. The lifetime it's, aspect of it's it. It's unreal. And I do remember watching this as a kid and kind of being bored by it. Me too. Uh, just not really having a care in the world. But watching it this time, and especially, first surprise, Buddy Jane. Yeah. Our boy Buddy from just one of the guys. It's yeah. like, holy shit, I totally forgot that that's that's Cujo's dog. But it's D. Wallace, who Casey Native is always a welcome always presence. Always great. And just always elevates any movie she's in. And she was making and this this 
both of the a leads. A year removed from E.T. Yeah. Where she's in this family friendly. Everything's good with that. <laughs> happy alien. You know, the family's fine. Next thing you know. She's trapped in her car with her kid dehydrated. And it's not even any kid. No. Who's the boss? Is Danny Pintaro being the best and adorable and you feel so sad and I, I remember also being bored and annoyed with this kid in this are, one are i you? i was not bored i was more like more engrossed with like oh no this family dynamic is breaking apart and like oh my god this kid is dying this kid is adorable save this child <laughs> save this kid but don't hurt the dog at the same time yet but you have to now well it's a great combination of dog acting yes and man in suit Especially when any of the physicality is involved. Which is a very good, like, who, you know? That's just, no dogs were harmed. All in, for intents and purposes, that's probably... They say, like, there's two things you should never work with. Kids and animals. And, and here Louis Teague is working with kids and animals. And killing it. Yeah. And killing it. Yeah. And I, I would have to think King would at least appreciate this adaptation because it does take the source material seriously. In fact, hell, all his things about being scared of the monsters in the closet, mm -hmm. the monsters under the bed, legit manifests in this very real thing. And then it's the the breakdown of the again. Well, and then the guy has I, to. I'm just shocked. The guy has to go to way because his cereal is his, made out of sharp things and making people. people bleed and internally and poop and poop out pink shit. And it's not even like their fault. They just kind of like, oh god, we got to do something. Uh, and so you're, so you're cracking up. Meanwhile, she's trying to break this infidelity thing. She's trying to do right. the right thing, you know. Oh, this was significantly a, a lot now, better than I remember seeing this. As someone now that is a cat person, mm -hmm. does this movie hit you any different just being with the big dog, what have you? Yeah, I definitely felt more sympathy towards Which, the animal. Yeah. You know, before I was like, oh, my gosh, somebody please come and kill that dog and say that thing. I'm like, yeah. oh. I you have yeah. to. I hate to say it, but he's he's gone bad. That's poor. That poor dog. I felt more sympathy towards the animal because one, it wasn't his fault. Yeah. He was just oh, yeah. chasing he the rabbit, doing his thing, and the, the bat was just kind of like, "Holy shit!" He was freaking out too. You felt I felt so bad for the, everybody involved in this, especially like, "Holy shit!" Take it easy, Cujo. I felt bad for the other side characters, the owner of the dog, and that family that put upon wife. And I'm like, Ed oh. Louder, yeah, early Ed Louder, yeah. A wealth of riches. That's you know what's the and that's what's crazy with both of these films. So many character yeah. actors in the King verse here. I was uh, one great thing about March Madness is revisiting movies that you haven't seen in a long, in a time. long time, and that yeah. makes you appreciate the movies more so upon rewatch. And well, that's significantly what happened with this movie. Well, and listen, we're heaping a lot of love on both of these films, but only one can advance into the next round. So, Genius McGee, which of the two, Christine or Cujo? It's closer to your heart. As much as I have to say I have more appreciation for Cujo now, I still remember Christine, loving Christine, and upon rewatching, still loving Christine. So for Closer to the Heart, I got to go with Christine on this one. That is fair. That is fair. The heart wants what it wants. I saw Cujo back in the day. Saw Christine back in the day. Cujo stayed with me. In terms of nostalgia, it's the one that was a nice callback to Christine. I've seen too many times, so watching it this time hit the nostalgia. But the fact that Cujo just carried so much 
currency yeah. that I use the name. My vote on that side goes for uh, Cujo. Now, that being said, from the heart to the head, we have the bracket topic of King of the Killer Nouns. Genius, how are you breaking it down? How are you interpreting? What is your vote on that? My vote is for Cujo because while there are other examples of killer dog movies like Man's Best Friend, Zoltar, <laughs> you know, things like that, when you're saying, oh, shit, that dog was bad, you say that's uh, Cujo. Um, <clears throat> when a killer car, I mean, there's not saying, oh, that car ran amok or something like that. You would say, like, oh, maybe it's honk, 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 or oh, it's a shit, it's at maximum, oh, shit, it's going maximum overdrive. So you might then say, oh, shit, if it's driving by itself, it's Christine. You would say, oh, shit, that dog is Cujo, mm -hmm. significantly more insane than that, that significant car has run amok by itself. So for King of Killer Nouns, I'm going to go with Cujo. That is fair. That is fair. That is well said. I was breaking this down a number of ways because, as you mentioned, we did an entire Nerdoween based on killer nouns. And yeah, man, I mean, killer car versus a killer dog, that's tough because I normally will align and be wary of any kind of a killer you know, animal film just because I'm always yeah. going to be empathetic to that. Especially now. That being said, though... The killer nouns themselves can go outside of that. So, um, you know, in Cujo, you get uh, a killer marriage happening, which you can interplay. Uh, with with Christine, technically, you can have like, killer teens engaging in things. But for me, man, it comes down to the fact that um, there are two masters truly collaborating. And the king of the killer collaboration for me, even though it's more of an adjective, I'm going to go with Christine, which unfortunately... Means oh, we have shit. a tie. Right out the gate, we got a tie. Well, you know what? That's okay, genius. In the case of a tie, we break out in case of an emergency, a little thing. We call the cover of the old fango. On the cover of the old fango, gonna buy one copy for my mother. Gonna watch some movies on Shutter. Gonna see my gruesome face on the cover of the old fango. So in case of a tie, we look to the cover of that classic magazine, Fangoria, and turns out both had features on it. However, Cujo only took place in a corner blurb. Christine, uh, Christine had the cover. Had the cover. Christine got the cover. So since Christine got the cover, oh, she is shit. driving her way into uh, the round so of the Chris Scream Sixteen. Christine made Road kill out of Cujo. Oh, jeez. Yeah, we're gonna have to put Cujo down. Yeah. Well, Cujo had to go. Like I said, it's unfortunate that Cujo had to go anyway because before Cujo went. He looked like a really good dog. He was my favorite. He looked like a really, really good dog. And it was heartbreaking when, like, the boy got it and everybody got it. And you're like, oh, God, poor dog. It's gone rabid. Yeah, no. Typical Stephen King. Yeah. I'm going to dour the hell out of you. Exactly. Oh, that Christine. Honk, 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 honk. Well, not only did we get a lot of King in the year of 1983, Sequels, sequels, sequels. And we got a lot of things going beyond the third dimension, which leads us to our bracket topic of mm -hmm. three is the magic number. 
in 3D. As we have two films featured in 3D going against each other, uh, we have Amityville 3D going up against Jaws 3D. Genius, <laughs> uh, which dimension do we go to first? Uh, let's go to Jaws. Let's go. Let's go where you will never, ever, ever. <laughs> Find me, and you probably shouldn't find yourself if they're having any whaling accidents. Not at all. Not at all. No and more Sea World. <laughs> I will say this again in terms of bias. Uh, we did do a commentary track for this, so this movie is definitely beloved by us. But Jaws did not, should not have ever had any kind of sequels, but because it made money. I'll it, go to bat for two. We'll always go to bat for two. I'll go to bat I'll for, for three. three and I'll, I'll go, go to bat for four. Go absolutely. But it, they shouldn't exist. No. Jaws should just be the standalone Steven Spielberg classic. Like there's a Sliders universe somewhere yeah. where Jaws is a standalone movie. Yeah. I, I and I would I would love that that universe. Love the universe I'm in right now, but it's like of all the things in the world. That you didn't think would work as 3D or didn't think should cross Jaws. through 3D. But Jaws. Jaws. And it's so funny to Big think. Big ass shark up in your face. Well, the fact that it actually started as a National Lampoon's project that was going to be Jaws 3, People 0, mm -hmm. and was meant to be a comedy. And Spielberg was like, if you do that. I'm out. I'm out. I'm I done. will never make any I'm kind done. of movie with you all. Leave me alone. Like he, he recognized. Yeah, like, yeah, this is probably not a good idea to do. So then they retooled it. They set it at this SeaWorld-esque, SeaWorld associated with, like, uh -huh. why not? We have no affiliation with Shamu and the Pirates of Shamu and their company. Oh, yeah, don't go watch Blackfish <laughs> after this film. Not a good double feature. But... Jaws 3D and they don't play and they don't paint SeaWorld in a good light either. Not at all. And they're like, oh, this is our training facility. Yeah, whoosh, right. And they're like, and this is our state of the art safe safety uh, protocol. And so no, nope. no, I don't know why SeaWorld. Oh, I wonder why SeaWorld didn't sing since this and Shamu didn't say cool. Well, sign me up. Well, it much like with Christine and Cujo. It's nice to go back to some of these films to see some of the character actors involved. Hell yeah. Anytime we get to talk about Louis Gossett Jr. on the show. A rarity. Right? To get to talk about Louis Gossett Jr. on a horror podcast. Exactly. Now, we might do an Iron Eagle. I've seen that at some point in time. I've, so I've only seen the first. But that's another, another, you talk about another one. Right? That franchise. So many sequels. So many big franchise and spinoffs of the franchise too. There, I'm surprised there's not like Iron Eagle Apocalypse. It's almost, it's almost like the, uh, the Amityville series what we're going to talk about later. Eventually. Well, and that's just it. So many sequels in 83, so many three things in 3D. But Jaws. In 83. But we, with Lewis Gossett Jr. In 3D. Yes. And he's sold. Powerful in this movie. Uh, we get early Leah Thompson. Uh huh. Before she went afoul. Of uh, another genre film. So I want to boo, but I want to clap. I uh, want to boo words, but I want to clap. I'm gonna Bravo. Bra you know what? Fuck it. That was good. Before she went afoul. I like that. <laughs> but we also get Dennis Quaid in this movie. So that's to say, top to bottom, at least I'd think. That the people that our shark should get to feast on is going to be tasty based on these wonderful character actors. Yeah, and then we also have uh, the Go-Go's as their background characters. <laughs> the Yokels yeah. as the background characters, <laughs> as we also see. 
But sadly, and this is, I'm not going to say beef with it, but not a large body count. No. In our 3D. And it's almost like everybody else is taking it seriously but the 3D. Mm-hmm. And and the shark, and you feel more, and you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I felt more bad for the other animals and the shark. Every 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 creature involved, in, except the humans. Yep. This is one of the ones where, like, fuck yeah, if I was the same shark, I'd fuck them up too. But don't hurt those goddamn dolphins. Sandy didn't do nothing. Cindy and Sandy. Guess they, what? Spoiler alert. They come out. You know, get here's the but thing. but you're, if they come out. But at times you're worried about them. Of course, em. and that's good. They make you worried, but. This is another one of those that the movie that ends on a freeze frame. I wouldn't mind that image on the side of a van. No. That's a happy-go-lucky van. There are some cool images, especially with the, like, vacation done, the shark attack come in out of the screen all up in your face. The issue I had going into the movie. <laughs> the hand coming out at you. I like, I like the hand coming out at me. It's the... It's the Rubenesque gentleman on the bumper boats that is zeroing in on them, and he had like beef with them for some reason. Is it because they were coupling in on one thing? Maybe he was just honoring. I told you my, uh, I told you my bumper car story. I remember reliving that on the commentary, and I'm like, you monster. Well, fuck him. He's gonna fuck, fuck with one, fuck with all no. of us. <laughs> like I told you, like Sean Connery says, they put, they watch you with one hose, one. You fucking dunk them in the dunk tank, right? That's the Chicago word. Uh, thoughts on the shark? When it worked, it worked. Yeah. When it didn't, it didn't. Yeah. Same thing with the 3D. Yeah. There was a lot of goofy. There was a lot of goofy 3D, but at the same time, I remember seeing this movie and like being excited with the 3D and putting it on 3D. Fuck. We even had a repertoire screening of it where we're like, oh, we're going to have the 3D glasses. Now, I... I remember seeing this in the theater and being excited, but I was real fucking young. So, but at the same time, I was like, ooh. Uh. But it, it also kind of enhanced that, like, I'm not going in there fear. Oh, yeah. That helps. You, you will need, never you see that. that. It's your own personal life jacket. Mm-hmm. I can appreciate that. I actually did it as a uh, movie night at my house way back in the day with 3D glasses. It was fun. People laughed. Unfortunately, there was more laughing with more than laughing, at, yeah, exactly. or laughing at than with. And that's with. the same thing at the uh, repertory screen. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say that it's warranted, but it, not saying it leads itself to it. But I understand and realize this is not a, a, a what people would in yeah, where we're, 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 we're referring it to the original one or just anything out from '83. Right. It's probably not the standards. I just really like it. Now I do too. I do too. It's, that being it's said, fun. That being said, from the waters. To the, the coast, yeah, to the house. Amityville 3D, which is one of those staples that if I do show a 3D film, I'm always going to show this trailer. Because as we know, Genius, does this film have any kind of association with parts one or two? This trailer has no affiliation with parts one or two or the Amityville people or anybody involved. This is the catalyst of the whole Amityville multiverse. So yay or nay on that? Nay. <laughs> well, yay. Yay in theory, nay in practicum. The communism of the horror franchise. Exactly. There's some gems, but then there's some shite because there's just so many of them. This year, in twenty between 2022 and 2023 alone, yeah, there has been like 14, 15 new Amityville movies released with another 12 scheduled to be released by the end of 2023. So 40 years ago, this is what it has brought us. This is what has wrought. We have wrecked. We, we have so <laughs> all because of a little movie in 1983 with the star of Popcorn. 
and that was one of my another surprise because me too. This was a first time viewing for me. Really? Yes. I remember seeing this movie back in like now it. I didn't see it in the theatrical run. I definitely saw it maybe 86. That's fair. Because it was on Friday Fright Night. Ooh, on a uh, Channel 5? On Channel 5, and they were showing it um, as part of like their one of their double features. And I can't remember if it was in 3D or wasn't, but I don't think it was. But I remember being kind of like, this movie's whack. And I remember thinking like... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know because I was never the biggest fan of the first Amityville back in the day because I was little and, you know. That's fair. That's fair. And not saying this movie drags, but I think there's a lot of things you have to be older than like eight or nine to appreciate in the Amityville That is also fair. So, again, this is one of those rewatches where like I was significantly pleasantly surprised i was shocked at actually how much i enjoyed it it was a lot of fun i was first because i was more impressed i think with the way the 3d was incorporated yeah especially versus kind of the not subtle <laughs> and you are a person that appreciates subtlety right and a little nuance right when it comes to but also movies. i also appreciate it in your face stuff too well, in when it 3D, works right right you want it in your face exactly so between the level of the character actors, the Dolores, the the practicality, and especially the use of fire and explosions. Well, let's talk about the cast. Let's talk about oh, the surprises. Okay. Because first of all, I was like, "Hey, it's Tony Robbins from Popcorn. I like Popcorn." Tony Roberts. Yeah. Tony Roberts. Tony Robbins. Jeez, he's doing positive messages. We're a winner. We're gonna buy a house, and it's gonna be great. There's not gonna be any flies. No CGI flies at all. It's gonna be wonderful. Oh, We're the, winners. Oh, the flies, and that's a staple yeah, of the, the Amityville films, right? But you know what else is not a staple? Lori Laughlin and her friend Meg Ryan. Early, early, so early, early, creepy goth Meg Ryan, the so, best Meg Ryan. So long before she ran into a guy and improved her life, you know that that ended tragically as well. Sadly. <laughs> It's so funny to see both of them so early on. I was not expecting young, young, young Lori Loughlin and young, young Meg Ryan. The matchup in this movie could have been like early, you know, debutantes from like, you know, Leah Thompson 2 over here. Yeah. And even Lori Loughlin now, it's Meg Ryan now. It's just so fun to see them all getting their start in genre. Uh-huh. Those roots, they go deep. And they're fun in the movie. Yeah. Especially. They're really good. Even Meg Ryan, she's got like a dozen lines tops, but she makes the most out and of them. And a lot of denim. Denim, a denim, denim. Lot she, of... Is, she is rocking the Tennessee tuxedo. She uh, is rocking it. We had an interesting Rick Dalton moment when we realized one of the doctors and yes. the scientists. Yes. Uh, his name is Robert Joy, who played Dr. West, was that guy from Land of the Dead. Uh-huh. Which was another nice surprise yeah. going into the film and we realize that that's how he got his face burnt up that's this is his origin story okay the red shirt researchers yeah holy shit okay so again I, this movie is slow this movie it's, and i think this is I, but it's not and, and i think that's why i didn't respect it when it was little when i was little because like one it starts out with basically fraud investigators paranormal debunkers mm -hmm. 
and it's just released. Hey, I want you to buy this house. It's because he felt bad for the poor guy and he wants to debunk everything. Next thing you know, shenanigans ensue, maybe a death or two here or there, accidental things, you know, jump scares. And then, like, I can see where people think it's slow. And the 3D, there was a lot of in-your-face of it, but there there was also a lot of subtle 3D. It was, I 3D, thought, decent a good use mix. of it, yes. But all of a sudden, you're in, not introduced because they're just kind of people in the background, about two dozen other people, and you're like, where the hell are all these people in my house? Get out of my house. They better do something. Somebody better get hurt quick. Because we're getting, we got like what ten minutes left of the movie, mm-hmm. and nothing is yet and really I, like happened. I, no climactic shit. I was waiting for the monster face that I remembered from it. Because we've already heard Meg Ryan saying, "Hey, you ever had sex with a ghost before?" Oh, Talking Lord about like mercy. Dan Aykroyd's fantasies and shit. And so, so next thing you know, like, well, when something's gonna boom, boom, boom happen, right? All of a sudden, madness ensues. People are getting obliterated. It's almost, it almost took a "We Are Still There." switch yeah where, where just madness ensues at the very end a lot of slow build-up but leading to a very good payoff was the juice worth the squeeze the for juice you? was worth the squeeze on this okay, one that is fair. i have a newfound respect for amityville 3d after this watch that's just it i was sur- and you know what all because of fucking podcasters it's true that's it's very all true. because it's podcasters true. ruin everything they ruin everything <laughs> And we we're only contributing to that. Now, that being said, obviously some surprises with both of these screenings. So let's see what the surprise is by seeing which film gets into the round of the Scream 16. So Genius McGee, uh, between Amityville 3D and Jaws 3D, which of the two films is closer to your heart? I'm going to have to say Jaws 3D mm-hmm. because I remember seeing it little in 3D with 3D glasses. I remember being excited because like, ooh, a 3D movie. And like, I remember seeing it without 3D and like, this is still a goofy movie. I'm still having fun. So mm-hmm. I've even the laughing with it and at it screenings that I've had, I've always had a good time with this movie. And so even though in the long run of diminishing returns of the Jaws sequels, this is still a fun, unique one. So close to the heart, I'm going to go with Jaws 3D. That is fair. That is fair. Uh, so I originally thought I had seen Amityville 3D, but it turns out I'd just seen a number of those like HBO makings of that they played in between movies. Mm-hmm. I really don't have a lot of nostalgia for the Amityville franchise. The Jaws franchise, however, I'm seething with love. I champion all of them I and celebrate the entire catalog so it's easy for me my vote closer to the heart is obviously jaws now that being said from the heart to the head looking at the bracket topic mm-hmm. three is the magic number yeah it is how do you interpret it how do you break it down what is your vote on that one there genius my vote is for amityville 3d and there's two main reasons why for amityville 3d one i think for three is the magic number the 3D incorporated is better because they, yes, they have some, ooh, in your face one with the weird humunculi 3D jump scare, the fly in your face jump scare, and a lot of the obvious jump scares, especially like the car wreck, mm-hmm. you know, all that good stuff. But they also had unprofessional. <laughs> they also had a lot of subtle Mm-hmm. Like when they're, he's setting up the equipment and or something like he's just pointing or looking around where it, the 3D is more 
the not the focus but the background so i think the 3d aspect work yeah. that due to the different types as opposed to all in your face but three for amityville because this is the catalyst for everything after this Certainly. good bad indifferent and while yes you can say the same thing for jaws series where this is People could say the downhill started with the sequel, that this is just the jumping of the sharp point. And it kind of shows because there's only one more sequel after this. But Amityville, after part three, when it said we have no affiliation with this, Mm -hmm. basically saying, hey, the gates open, boys, (laughs) come on in, right? I think that for the for the Amityville series, three is definitely magic number on this one. That's fair. That's fair. And. I'm actually also going to say Amityville 3D for three is the magic number just in, because of the depth of field going on. And I unfortunately, I'd also just recently watched uh, Avatar Way of Water and I saw that in IMAX 3D and just the the steps and advances that have evolved over time in 40 years. Amityville had to walk so Avatar could run. <laughs> no, Jaws 3D had to drown so... <laughs> Avatar, a wave of water can make for it. No, it's it's not laughably bad, but you've got that moment when the shark breaks through the glass. It's just it's rough. It's rough, it and it what makes it unintentionally funny. It's when an audience can turn against a film, but in Amityville 3D, it's working like Cameron's trying to shoot way of water where it's not just for the stuff that's in your face right it's depth of field it's the shot compositions it makes it feel immersive Mm -hmm. and i actually felt that way with amityville 3d more than i did jaws 3d yeah and goodness gracious again on the cover of the old fango gonna buy one copy from my mother gonna buy one copy on center gonna see my gruesome face on the cover of the old fango (laughs) it's i like that that's the the one and a half version exactly now that being said turns out again representation matters both of these films did appear on a cover of a fangoria however only one got the cover image and it was jaws 3 that got the film side and it was amityville 3d that got the cover Oh, so, oh. And I don't know if that is a controversial thing or oh. this or that. Oh, Amityville 3D with the up. Well, I don't know if it's an upset or, but. It, the Making chum of Jaws 3D. Yeah. Closing the door. Making its way into Pools the round. Closed. Beach closed. Back to the house. Beach is closed. <laughs> round of the Scream 16. Now, that being said, then going into our next bracket topic and our next matchup and. I think these last two are the ones that will create some fun conversation, mm-hmm. um, and especially this particular matchup, this particular bracket topic, because in the early 80s, we did have the explosion of home video, mm-hmm. we had the explosion of home theaters, mm-hmm. and not only did you have a television in your living room, but then you started seeing them in the kitchens, yes, and sometimes the other rooms in your bedroom. So our topic... Bracket topic is TV time. TV time <laughs> in color. And we have quite a matchup. Uh, we have Videodrome going up against Twilight Zone. Which one do we talk first there, genius? Uh, long live the new Flash. <laughs> <laughs> Zip. Let's talk about uh, Flesh and, and things that are squishy. And uh, 
VHS tapes. Welcome back. David Cronenberg. Uh-huh. And <laughs> creepy and classic Cronenberg. The Venn diagram. A lot of overlap with this one. And I would honestly argue if people think of David Cronenberg, of an overall image of David Cronenberg, of something that is the cent- central thesis statement to what David Cronenberg does, I think it comes from Videodrome. Yeah. I think it comes from the pulsating TV. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people will think of the, the gun, the gun hand, the um, stomach gyna. So many things that can come from this movie, right. and much like the year before with season of the witch, this idea of technology transforming people. Mm-hmm. David Cronenberg was like, "Oh, I, okay, I Hold can do this. Beer. Hold my Molson. <laughs> Hold this. Hold my glass of wine. Let me get my knives." <laughs> and another movie that we've been lucky enough to see in the theater, mm-hmm. but it's also a movie, strangely enough, I think better plays at home. It would play best on a VHS. Yes. Right? Especially with the grainy aspect and all the different, with the white static and the bars and all the, the, the sound, I think on an old VHS tape would work absolutely perfect. Plus, you would give you a pause when you have to eject because you're like, I don't want to, I don't know if I want to touch this, right? So no, but yes, the home screening does work too. Well, you know, significantly well. First thing I thought of when watching the TV pulsating with the veins is that I'm pretty sure they were uh, mirroring a little Charles Bronson, you know, 1960. This is the action channel. Turn on the Skinamax. It looks looks like the... um, It looks dirty. (laughs) It It looks sexy dirty. It's Cronenberg. It's Cronenberg. It's the first... We were talking off mic. I remember watching this the first time uh, and seeing Deborah Harry, and I'm like, that's Blondie, right? Mm -hmm. And then when she pulls her top down, I'm like, oh, that's a lot of Blondie. Oh, it's Blondie. And then she burns herself. Oh, it's Blondie. It's Burnt Blondie, and it's freaking me out. I was not prepared for that overlap. (laughs) Well, one way or another. (laughs) And it's David Cronenberg like, well, there you go, Greg. Zip. Yeah. (laughs) And even now, watching it as a 46-year-old, it still hits me the same way. (laughs) There's still parts of that are uncomfortable that you're encroaching into these weird crevices that only Cronenberg goes. Mm -hmm. That that only Cronenberg can expose you to. And then the aspect of the technology and the fact that they've got that whole experiment going with the homeless folk Mm -hmm. and letting them, getting their fix, and this idea of a new way to look at this. This Videodrome is creating, it's changing you. It's, Cronenberg was so ahead of the game. It's uh, Marshall McLuhan had that whole idea, I I probably mispronounces his name, but this idea of like hot media and cold media and stuff that you interact with, how it affects you, it's fascinating. And even looking at like analog stuff and that it how stuff influences us, a, a channel like Videodrome, mm-hmm. and how how many things has that influenced? Like the look of hostile immediately comes to mind oh, with yeah. some of the stuff. A lot of post-apocalyptic things. And yes. Like, and people are still copying the vibe and the feel of video drone. It's, it's unreal. But yet to have matched it. Well, and what's fun is the fact that we just watched Scanners not too long ago for the first time. Yeah. And just to see how Cronenberg films share some of the same DNA, mm-hmm. but then you realize, no, there's other DNA involved in this. It's Cronenberg. 
it he you becomes it. the noun of itself. He does, he does, and it works in so many different levels. Uh, James Wood in this movie, admittedly, kind of a, maybe a we- garbage person. Whether you like his agree or his politics or not, separating the art from the artist, he He's, just does a fantastic job. This is his weirdly magnum opus. Max, it, well, maybe is it because he's kind of like kind Max Ren? He's kind of well, yeah. <laughs> And that you can separate the art of the artist so far. Well, and then you also get a number of the familiar Cronenberg collaborators, which I love with this. But I just think the overlarge over Doctor Pickles, though, always elevated. It's going to be your forever standard, right? With Cronenberg, it's got to be Doctor Pickles. You have to have pickles on the side. Exactly. Doesn't have to be the main thing. What good flesh sandwich doesn't have pickles? Uh, The the special effects in this one again are just vivid they're gross the come kiss me that whole thing the inversion into the tv i shouldn't be feeling the way i should be feeling but it's like a lot of weird things cronenberg what are you doing to Uh, me well and i recently watched death by temptation for the first time with kadeem hardison and it very much takes that entire scene but it shows you how influential it is that people are still calling upon it and you could honestly say that Videodrome itself could very much be remade at this point. And then he's explored those themes like existence, existence, Mm -hmm. uh, even into like um, uh, crimes of the future. There's a lot of that carryover with Cronenberg. There was even some hints of it in some of his son's work where like the company (laughs) that both Andrea Risenborough and that guy work for. Yeah, it's 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 perfect. It's perfect. Now. That being said, from a movie that is one overarching thing to one of our favorite kind of movies, the anthology. We're going to let the midnight special shine a light on us. Proto-podcasting. It, was it not? And that in, with Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, they're going back and forth like we would. But don't pick up hitchhikers. That's what, what we wouldn't do. No, God, no. God, no. Are you kidding me? Mm-mm. So much to learn from in this movie. And I will just say, let's address... The, the elephant in the room, the issue with Landis, it is a stigma he still carries to this day, a burden he still carries to this day. I caution you to not watch that episode of Cursed Films. Yes. Because you see the incident. Right. And, and so trigger warning on that one. It's baggage I still bring to, to this one. That being said, yeah. this version that we watched, it's completely... Oh, completely edited. Yeah. That scene, it's that entire lead up to the post, scene. Yeah, the... All edited, so that's why that I'm not putting that into my thing. Now, that being said, how often do we get to talk about a horror anthology with the likes of Steven Spielberg, with the likes of George Miller, Joe Dante, Joe Dante, it's and Mr. Landis? It's kind of unfreaking real, and they all have done. Fantastic horror in their own right. Of course, they're all genre. Yeah, they're all genre filmmakers. But then, the Beast Week is the shit. Oh, I love each the 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 the, the witches of each was. Um, but the Twilight Zone. This is another one of those adaptations from small screen to the big screen. A number of people cut their teeth on mm-hmm. that TV show. That is a TV show that tackled like socially conscious issues influential richard would, math is making movies people there. would argue it's woke nowadays like, yeah that's absolutely. what the, the complaint would be absolutely. but it was like no they are they're able to address stuff through genre make it entertaining they're not hitting you over the head but when they're hitting you over the head 
good. You need to be hit on the head. Exactly, exactly. And that's what it is. They do a lot of that good balance of the mm-hmm. subtlety. And when they need, like you said, when they need to be heavy handed, they'll be heavy handed. But when they're like, hey, you need to look at this and interpret it your own way. Yeah, Twilight Zone was the shit. And since it's been around for so fucking long, yeah. it's been influential on multiple generations. So the movie was something cool. By any chance, did you see that one in the theater? I wish. Okay. Now, okay. repertory screenings, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But... Well, and it's been a while since I'd watched it, and it's a movie I always enjoyed. And the the various segments would hit me differently depending on the time I watched it. Mm-hmm. But going in this time, my my baggage was definitely different. And I know you definitely had more of a, I'm not going to say a transformative experience, but... You it know, hit harder than it has before. And you came in like just, I'm not going to say beaming after your viewing experience, but tell me a little bit about how you felt there, Genius. I had such a good time with this. First of all, the whole like, let the midnight special shine a light on me, right? And I was just sitting there and watching it. And then I think it was after, of course, we saw the everything about this screening hit better than it has before from the again the proto podcasting of albert brooks and dan Aykroyd. i thought it was great because they're doing i've had these i was thinking i've had this exact same conversation with greg and dustin in the car about like tv theme songs you had it with dustin because i would have been pants no we've had it here in the in the car well yeah you pants pants no but we talked about like your love of the barney miller theme yep. oh yeah and so like you know oh, yeah. it just kind of made me smile right you want to see something really scary <laughs> and i'm thinking okay please let it be danielle harris i know it's not i know it's gonna be dan Aykroyd with a weird like like cat sound but it, it was wonderful it was just kind of like nostalgic and lovely and then the whole like oh here comes vic morrow and that and the whole time i'm like the scene, I'm like, mm-hmm. I know it's coming up, mm-hmm. but like separate, separate. I know it's coming up. And then finally I'm thinking like, you know what? Good for this guy. I mean, not good for this guy. Good for his scenario. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot more people need to be put in their shoes to realize how bad it Perspective. was. And I wasn't expecting a racist talking John Larroquette. When he comes out, where are you going, N-word? And I'm like, oh, how can you be so disrespectful, Dan Dan Fielding? Right? And I'm like, ah. And then, so it's the, the good surprises that we've had so far with right? the character actors showing up and then the oh no oh no but like of course you know he's acting but at the same time okay but then finally when he gets thrown in the train and then send away and he's like it's me it's me i was like okay so they didn't have that okay good yeah. that was a way better significantly viewing then it's i'm scared man Carruthers, we're going to play kick the can knock a segment that bored me to tears as a kid. I could have cared less as a kid. Brought me to tears as an adult. The part where the where where the he's like every day he every weekend second Saturday he packs his bags to go with his son and his son disappoints him every single time and then he just sits there and walk. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, is this a Hallmark card commercial? Because I'm about to fucking cry. And then he's sitting there and talking about like, oh, well, you know, you just got to think young and stay young and and you won't get old because the minute you start getting old. And I'm sitting there thinking about things, other things, people I've lost, people I'm losing, shit that's going on. And I'm just sitting there like, oh, my God. 
right and then when they become kids and he and she's talking like i don't want to live my life again i don't want to be without this person again i don't want to live through the heartache you know so the whole thing and she when the the little girl that was like oh artie where are you gonna go every time she said i just smiled she's so good she's so So good good at that and all those old little kids that little girl and what even got me even more is she's (laughs) so that old lady's holding that old cat and when the cat it becomes a kitten and i'm sitting there and i'm like look at that baby and the next thing i know fucking i'm kind of well enough right i can feel it like the tingle in the back of my eye right now and so like i'm sitting there just watching these these old people go in there and the one like i don't want to go back i want to be a kid and then the other but like Uh, i don't and i don't want to go to school and like life and the the one says life was hard and i'm thinking like if i had that choice would i go back to being a little kid Mm -hmm. and i'm like oh my gosh so all these things are getting me to think all these different things that that old man is sitting there the whole time take me with you take me with you and the fact that every kind of ends on a happy note but he's still sitting there trying to kick the can being a kid again and my heart is just it's it's overfilled, but yeah. it's broken at the same time. Listen, Spielberg is sneaky that way. Yeah. He is, that's why he is the master. He's the master of that. <laughs> he is so good. And then it's scrap it's Scatman Crothers. Doc! Right to so the whole time. And how all yeah. these old character oh. actors that I've seen in all these old 80s yes. movies, all these old yes. like I don't know their names. I guarantee but they all had long careers in the forties. Right, but then I it, so so again, my heart is uh, broken, but it's filled with optimism. But also, like it is a hard world out there. And then we move into with, with Kevin McCarthy. We, we go, move into Joe Dante. We go to Cartoon Town. Cartoon world, and you know I love cartoons and, and like cartoon the whole mixing of real world and animated world. And this is such a perfect like distillation of why we love Dante. Exactly, because he loves that cartoon logic too he was perfect for this role and i know this one was also based i i think a lot of them were based on original like stories yes absolutely. And i know this one was this is the one that always kind of scared me as a kid because they're monsters the rabbit out of the hat and the tasmanian devil oh my god and then just the the, the girl without the mouth which by the way, is that not uh oh, no. yeah, no, that's no but the sister that's one it, Eleanor, that's that's Bart Simpson, that's yep. Nancy Cartwright. And so way to go. And I'm like, oh my god, I can hear it. And then of course you have Kevin McCarthy, the villain from UHF. And see, I didn't really grow up with him the way you did, but now I've had so much of the Kevin McCarthy in my life that he's such a welcome sight. But the way they go through the purse. Like just like scavengers. Oh, it's just unreal. ravaging. And now watching that now and just seeing how they're trying how to they're act- Oh, everything you want. <laughs> yeah. They the looking at the pictures, I remember that. And um you're like, I'm feeling so bad. You do. Them. Yeah. Because you don't when you first see it, you're like, these guys are just weird. But then upon second rewatch, when you know why they're, they're weird, you're just like, Holy shit. Because I always identified with the kid growing up. I'm like, how cool is that? To have your own fucking magic powers to have all every wish you want. Yeah. But then I'm like, you know what? That would suck. To have a bunch of like omnipotent, he's the beyonder, right? And then to have like all these powers of people afraid of you and like, just, but then to be the people trapped, yeah. And they're like, they we we didn't even know we're not even his family. We just yep. got here, oh, so right? Good. So good. And then so moving on to that, then you have the 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 John. Li- anybody who's flown a, who's been scared to fly a plane will talk will think this episode because it's- it. I'm not afraid to fly. 
But after this, I was like, I don't know if I want to go on a plane. Fuck all that noise. Because it is panic-inducing because, one, you have Lithgow's uh, Lithgow's performance. And any time you introduce Lithgow, and this is not his first appearance on Into the Mouth Mm, of March Madness. No, and it probably won't be his last, right? He is so, plays unhinged so well. He is the perfect person for that lovely Miller trope of the eyes. Eye pop. Yes. Because here's the thing. Miller works best in a big grand scale. And this is a big grand movie. But if you put the Miller big giant people flipping into cardboard boxes as safety thing sensibilities into an airplane... You have something frantic, claustrophobic, scary, (laughs) but yet funny. Very funny. Extremely funny. Extremely funny. Uh, The little girl with the dummy. With the W.C. Fields dummy? Yes. What the fuck? Yes. Oh, no, but going back. Going, I, I, there's something I totally fucking forgot. And the Dante one. Fucking Dick Miller is Walter Paisley. As Walter Paisley. At As the, Walter the, at Paisley. The diner. Right? So, again, that's another Miller, Paisley, Walter. Then he's going to be, he, he's gonna, uh, the, his night shift is over at the mall. His day shift is there. So Paisley's all uh, over the place. I love it. I love but it. But no. So then you have oh, this golden. third. It's like, hey, I'm not supposed to do this, but I got a whole bunch of sedatives. You, you need them? 1983, another time. Another place. God where damn. you can smoke on the airplane. No smoking. And that little girl, I recently rewatched Cloak and Dagger. Um, she was all over, like, the early <laughs> 80s cinema. She is so wonderful in this. No, but there, she has a line that's funny. And I, it's one of those ones that I never I never caught it. But when the um, air security, that character actor, yeah, that is like, she goes, oh, look, handcuffs. And she's like, no, give me that. And he picks him up. And she goes, mommy, a strange man's got me. And then he, she, the mommy goes, again, I... Giggle. No, no, she goes, a strange man. She goes, Mommy, Mommy, a strange man's got me. And she says, what she do now? What she do now? That gave me such a giggle. Like, this is the first time that little shit's been. You know who that kid is, I think? Isn't she the one from, like, come on, you fucker, from Shocker? Not the same one. Oh, rat. Different one. Different, different, uh, you know, Sliders universe there. But then we get the great I creature. Pop. The creature is creepy. The gremlin? The way it's moving on the wing, thrashing about, bringing, bringing the signaling the fire. Oh, I mean the lightning. So scary. Picking up shit, laughing, so laughing scary. it while he's throwing. <laughs> you like this? Having a blast. Yeah. He, Identify knowing an audience exists. I was almost ready for him to go, <laughs> and then like fly off. But that moment when they the he shoots out the window, scrambles across, grabs them, pulls them out. Uh, 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 and then the finger, not today. And, and then flies off. Pushes him back in, fucking Sherry bobbins it. And then you get the ultimate reveal of Dan Aykroyd in the ambulance. You want to see something really scary? Cue the music and then a memorable screening. So a lot of love given to both of these films, but only one can advance into the round of the Scream 16. So, Genius McGee, which of the two films, Videodrome or Twilight Zone, are closer to your heart. Twilight Zone. <laughs> I remember growing up with the Twilight Zone. I remember se- this is one of those movies that I remember watching with the family because oh, I know Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I know that it's creepy, but it's not going to be overtly scary. Gateway horror? Absolutely gateway horror. So I remember this is one of those family-friendly ones that I remember watching 
and enjoying and even normies know there's something on the plane you yeah, know yeah so growing up with being a fan of twilight zone now while i do appreciate videodrome and all that i didn't really know of it or appreciate it until later in life sure so for closer to the heart by by time and proxy alone twilight zone wins this one that is fair that is fair didn't grow up with videodrome i grew up with the twilight zone it's pretty easy math. This is the one that is more comforting watching, especially this recent rewatch. Videodrome, I don't necessarily have to be in the right mood, but I know I'm going to walk away feeling a little icky, as mm-hmm. you do with Cronenberg. But the closer to my heart, without a doubt, does go with Twilight Zone. Now, that being said, the bracket topic itself, TV time. Genius, how are you breaking that down, interpreting it? Which of the two films get your vote? Ooh. I think with Videodrome and the TVs, I think that's more sexy TV time. <laughs> this is more, that's more skin and max. For TV time, I'm going to go Twilight Zone because I think, one, it's based on a TV show, a long running TV show. Um, and two, when people get sucked into the TV in both movies, but into a cartoon universe TV in Twilight Zone. So for those two options, Plus, like, you know, it's it's when you think of TV, I don't know, Twilight Zone more comes to mind. So I'm going to go Twilight Zone for TV time. Do, 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 do. TV theme songs. I This was a tough one for me because television is scattered throughout both of them. The inclusion of the Dante sequence. Uh, I just, there's something about the interactivity in Cronenberg with the TV the fact that it's the TV show itself that is inducing the transformative effects that, you know, we find in Videodrome. You know, TV is the new flesh. And because of that, my vote is Videodrome. But by a vote of three to one, uh, getting canceled uh, is uh, Videodrome. We're, we're changing the channel. Right? I, I have a feeling that we're going to have a lot of upset Cronenberg fans. And not to say that this... Not to say that I don't love video drone. No. But my goodness, this this plus in fairness, an anthology, I'm gonna pick an anthology. It, I, I'm not I don't wanna I don't wanna say bias, but had, had I, we recorded it tomorrow, it could have been a different I love vote. It, it could have been a different yeah, vote. Yeah, but Twilight Zone, I, like I said, even just talking about that kicked the can and went <laughs> had to have the tissues handy. Yeah. Now that brings us to our final matchup of the year of nineteen eighty three and we haven't talked about him, and it's kind of crazy. I'm glad that we were able to avoid the slashers to this point, mm-hmm. because let's face it. It's the 80s. Oh, and it's 1983. We got a lot of slashers. <laughs> yes, we do. So it was tough to break it down to two, but quite honestly, there was one we knew we had to talk about, and one I ideally wanted you to see and talk about. So our topic itself is seasonal slashers, which means uh, we're going to get, you know, um, maybe maybe a little sunny. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little snowy, mm-hmm. uh, but our matchup is uh, Sleepaway Camp going up against Curtains. Which one do we talk first? Why, just the other day I was thinking, my, wouldn't it be lovely if we talk about Sleepaway Camp? Yes, I think that's what we should do. Let's talk about Sleepaway Camp. How, what can we not say about Sleepaway Camp that has not been said? <laughs> uh, from Consistently, every time we show Sleepaway Camp, it will always be more than likely be on the uh, Halloween hangover because it's going to be a memorable, wonderful screening. From the nerds of nostalgia episode, we did a Tapcade. 
that had that story at the end to the Friday Night Frights. Oh, my Lord. Where you audibly heard, what the fuck? Yeah, so. The fact that we've recorded a commentary for it, devoted an episode to it, it is a movie we legitimately love, but I will admit, it's a movie I came to late. Me too. And I knew it by reputation, and another of the films that we've talked about that has a franchise built upon it, uh, we have now Felissa Rose, who is one of those presence in horror like in terrifier 2 mm-hmm. when she shows up like hey it's Melissa rose <sighs> and her she's wonderful in this but judy steals the show oh oh judy oh judy oh oh judy 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 i it's it's judy karen it's karen Fields. it's 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 and then don't forget max kellen how can we are you don't kidding forget mel he's become a fixture of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. Between God told me, so, God told me to, <laughs> just before dawn, dawn, fucking sleep away camp, and you know what? Good for him. <laughs> I mean, and a dog. we have incredible Ed French special effects. Uh huh. Burning corn. I mean, we got like that corn liqueur. <laughs> and then we have bizarre, bizarre character background characters like uh, uh, Desiree Gould. Okay, Aunt, Aunt Martha, Martha is an all-timer. When first-timers watch this movie, they it comes screeching to a halt because you're like... Confounded. What is Confounded. happening? What, is, what are the choices is she making? Because it's kind of at first like, okay, there's an accident. It's, it's Stephen King approved right off the fucking bat. Right off bat. the bat. Right off the... Uh, Stephen King approved throughout in this movie. <laughs> yes. And Little then shits. all of a sudden, Aunt Martha comes into play. Woo. And then that's Coming just, in hot. What and wait, wait, what? Breakneck speed. So much like in Flash Gordon, when Dale Arden starts going, the go, Flash, go. I know it takes people out of the movie and it's like it's not my kind of thing. I can see the same thing happening in Sleepaway Camp. That moment is gonna make people go, I, I can't watch this, this is just too weird. But then there are people like ourselves who are like, What kind of ride am I on? Oh yes. I am ready for it. Let me strap in. This movie rewards peripheral viewing. Of just again watching and hey, hearing Bob the people Marino. react. No, I mean just seeing the dude in the background flexing, just flexing with flex appeal. The cop that comes in with the must with the real mustache Yo, and Angela, then comes out why with are you the so fake. Fucked up. Everything involved, all the boy ass, the kids, the kids, those little shitty kids that just like throwing start throwing sand, sand on it. <laughs> Every time you watch this movie, you will pick up something different, and of course, the ending. And shocking, shocking ending. Listen, and again, there are multiple ways of interpretation. And again, trans communities, some have said this movie is good. Some have said this movie is bad, but at least Your opens mileage up. will vary, but it does lead to conversation. Ideally. And it, but unfortunately, this is 1983 again. So again, another time. Another place. But it's also the movie that's built on the ending. Yeah. But I think that sadly. But then the, the mil- here's the thing. The the. Movie is built on the ending, but the franchise is not. No, no, no. The, it's almost like the franchise has the ending has nothing to do with the rest of the franchise. Which I think why is why a lot of people have not necessarily seen and mm-hmm. out a lot of those because first and foremost, Felissa is not involved in two and three. You get Bruce Springsteen's sister, uh, Pamela Spring, which she's actually pretty good. She's in them. pretty good, but she's not. An, she's not Felissa's. But Angela. the, the she's ending else is Angela. The ending of Sleepaway Camp then discounts the the softball scene and some of the classic lines in that. And to me, hey, Greg, 
He shouldn't die. He genius. He shouldn't live. <laughs> that that to me is what makes sleepaway camp. It's those sleepaway shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Mozart getting the butt in the face and play think, and, and catching think Mozart catching the game. <laughs> think Mozart. I love that shit. It's it's the cutoffs. Lots and lots and lots of cutoffs and the kills. The great the, kills. The, the great taking kills. a shit with the <laughs> taking a shit with a beehive dump, in there. Wicked dump. Fucking hey, Bob, Bob, the whole upside down thing, the corn, like everything. Love it. It's just wacky. It's wild enough. It's it's gory enough and it's funny enough. (laughs) And there's a long stretch between gills, but it's filled with just enough goofery Mm -hmm. with. Are you ready for the summer? Exactly. You have the summer camp shenanigans. You have the whole who's doing it mystery. You got inappropriate adults. A lot of inappropriate adults. A lot of inappropriate. (laughs) Not inappropriate to the kids. But mean to the kids. Well, Mag, Mag's, Mag's, Mag's awful. Yeah, yeah. Mag's, no. Mag's, Mag. Listen, we. And then Mel, <laughs> I knew he was beating the shit out of a child. And it, it's the stogie, it's the stirrups on the socks, it's the fact that he's ready to have inappropriate relations with the counselors. There's a lot going on. There's a lot. With it. It's classic for absolute reason. Well, I'd like to thank then. Let's head up north because then our second film. As a little Canuxploitation classic mm-hmm. that I had no idea existed until I watched a trailer on that um, 80s horror compilation, a little film called Curtains, or better yet, Coitons. Coitons. It's Coitons for you. By any chance, did you say that? How many times did you say that during your Every viewing? time. Okay. Especially the, and, the especially wipes. The wipes. The wipes. The Which? curtain wipes. It's Coitons. Every time the wipes would come out, first of all, I liked it and respected it a lot because if you're going to have your name Coitons and you don't have a lot of Coitons in there, at least have Coitons it's wipes. It's a lush movie. But every time the Coitons wipes in the Coitons for you, it's Coitons. Without fail. Um, a nice, really interesting stark contrast to Sleepaway Camp mm-hmm. because as bombastic and as 80s as Sleepaway Camp is. This is very subdued and very almost 70s. It's Yes. And I don't know if it was because of camera grain. I, well, I think it was a lot of that was the versions that we both took in. But I think a lot of it has to do because it is more of a slow burn. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit more subtle. It's more of a character or characters piece. And, and see this one. Now, going back to my first time seeing this, I don't remember if it was a fever dream or not. Because there was bits and parts of it where it was like, I've seen this, but I don't know if I've seen it all the way through. I don't know if it was a Commander USA yep. groovy movie yep. watching or if it was like an early rental. USA was probably involved with it. Because the VHS cover was terrifying. That mask. Yeah. And the back. Yeah. yeah. So I, I would see these things and I'm like, I don't know if I've seen this back and front. So did you get so just in terms of then going through it this time, what was it like? Weird, mm-hmm. because I'm like, okay, it's kind of part slasher, Jallo. Is it John Vernon just sitting there being an abusive director? John, okay, John Vernon matched with Samantha Eggers, <laughs> two powerhouses at that time, which for me was my nice surprise. You see what happens, Mister Vernon? We're gonna put you on double secret plasmatics, <laughs> right? What are you guys it's, fooling around for? Stop goofing around. He is you goblin. Stop kidding the teacher. From Killer Clowns in Outer Space to a number of women in prison films. I'm gonna get you, sucker. He is that guy that is an a, an authority figure. Always crusty. 
very crusty. He's, always, he's never like, hello, I'm the big party animal. He's always the one who doesn't want the parties and the shenanigans. And then you match him with Samantha Eggers, who is another incredible character Let actor. Let me chew up the scenery while I'm here. And as you mentioned, it feels like it's two films. It feels like there is a lot going on with both of them. But the, the nice surprise I had was, first and foremost, you have Claire from Black Christmas as the comedian. Yeah. And Santa representation. I thought her set was pretty good. Me too. She I has, liked her in her She act. has a tight three. I was going to say, as someone that knows. She, she has a tight three. But it basically plays out like this weird Canadian casting couch. And all of these actors. With the creepy doll. I thought I didn't realize it was part of a dream sequence because that's the part I, I took away from that trailer. Go, oh, no, creepy dolls. Mm-hmm. Forget like, about it. It's going for this movie. But we are in a winter setting. We're in a mansion that it's all about. And it's this long casting session. Adra. 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 And Adra. Where's our, I was born to play Adra. Adra was supposed to be mine. Adra is me. I am Adra. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> Drink. Every time you hear the word Audra, you sip, will be sip. fucked up. Audra is said a lot. If you're like, man, Genie's just said Audra like about eight, nine times in about three minutes. You know, that's about average. That's about average, yeah. that's about average of this pace. movie. It, it's, it is very much a slower burn as compared to Sleepaway Camp, but I actually... And, you mentioned the Jallo-esque nature of it. Because there's no goofy background actors like Sleepaway Camp. No. This is, every, it's more character-based. These are eight, uh, six to eight people, tops. Yeah. It's really nice. In an enclosed area, who's doing it? Why are they doing it? What's the motive? My favorite part, though, is just how like all of their backgrounds kind of incorporate into their eventual demises. Mm-hmm. And then you also mentioned what we don't get in Sleepaway Camp and that you get with a lot of other 80s films, though, is The Masked Killer. And this mask is kind of scary. Yeah. It's kind it's of terrifying. Creepy. It but just, this, and it comes into play non killer. No, that's Seduce me it. with your eyes. It's You think you're you act because you're beautiful? Put on this mask, mask. be ugly. Ugh. And seduce me. You're a hag. You make me sick. The, there's was a couple dynamic. of sequences in this. Movie. There was a very you know, this was definitely another time, another place. This is the one where, like, a lot of people, like, maybe back in the day, well, he's just being a stern director, and Samantha's just being a big over, over-the-top diva. And, yes, that's true of their characters. Yeah. But, like, in the nowadays filter and looking yeah. at the lens and, like, oh, ooh, Vernon. And, of course, you not, even back then, you're like, he's always crusty. So, you know, he's back then, he's like, yeah, you need to be crusty. But this one, he was particularly, particularly crusty and creepy. The- you don't normally see creepy Vernon. You see crusty not creepy well there's a scene that practically involves a safe word at a certain point where you're like is this all above board okay. yeah i'm like i don't know where lesbianism boom like wait where, where i don't remember this coming into play in the subplot <laughs> at all i i believe that when i read into it a little bit that the director was fired halfway through the filming which is why you do feel the, the the madhouse versus the casting house, yeah, and how those two eventually then interplay with each other. So yeah, it's an interesting one. The madhouse was scary. Oh, the 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 like the treatment <laughs> of everything. Yeah, yeah. The people grouping because yeah, no, I was pleasantly surprised with this one. Yeah, it is a nice surprise. It is but, a nice surprise. But I was not expecting that creepy doll to have kung fu grip. Fuck all that noise. Fuck all that noise. 
I would understand like, oh no, there's a doll on the road. Let me swerve around the doll. But I wouldn't pick up the doll. If Italian movies have taught me anything, you watch out for things in the middle of the road. And then ice skating? Very rarely do you see an ice skating scene and then with a hag coming at you with a sickle. There was a lot of like, and what was that? Like another thing, interpretive dance. Mm Mm-hmm. The interpretive dance scene. Maybe that's something we can incorporate for a physical challenge for uh, the game of games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, other thoughts on curtains before we match these two up to get against each other? Uh, I enjoyed the wipe because it was coitins every time. The head in the toilet was great. Interesting place to make out. Um, no, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a very cool proto scream. The fact that there was like two spoilers for like a 40-year-old movie. Exactly. Two killers. Mm-hmm. I thought it played well. I thought, ah, like, oh, that's that's pretty a good clever twist. I, it was the comedian. And it, I and watch out for the comedians. But that's just it, though. Again, something is always still surprising you. Mm-hmm. So let us see which film surprises us by going into the round of the Scream Sixteen. So Genius, uh, Sleepaway Camp, or Curtains? Which one is closer to your heart? Sleepaway Camp. Even though I came late to the game with Sleepaway Camp, yeah, it's knowing exactly that I came late to the game trumps like was this a real fever dream that i really saw did i really see this movie until this first time sleepaway camp every single time i see it it just keeps getting better and better and better so like yeah sleepaway camp for closer to the heart i'm also gonna say sleepaway camp and it's one that we routinely traditionally revisit every summer over at screenland it is tradition to break out the cutoffs the cutoffs have actually become an everyday occurrence in my life so it is now a way of life way of life it is unreal so yeah my vote also goes to sleepaway camp now that being said in terms of the bracket topic itself seasonal slashers which one's going to get your vote uh for seasonal slashers i gotta go sleepaway camp for the simple fact is you can't have camp you can have a winter camp but you have to call it a camp winter camp or you can't <laughs> have to call it a ski resort camp or you have to call it something sleepaway camp it's only those are only in summer because you're going away. You know, summer camp shenanigans. Oh, yeah. Only can happen in the summer. While the casting couch and the mansion and the hot tub can happen anywhere. You know? So, it, while it's set in the winter, I think they almost used it because, one, it's exploitation and, like, Certainly. filling your own backyard. Certainly. Right? And isolation. And then, two, like, well, hell, we got a, somebody who can ski really good and we got a cool ski scene idea, so let's go ahead and set it up there. So, I... For necessity purposes, curtains could have been winter, spring, summer, fall. But for sleepaway camp, that could have only happened in summer. Weirdly enough, I'm not sure if you were looking at my answer here, but I had almost the exact same rationale. (laughs) Great minds, my friend. As it is, so by a count of four votes to zero, slashing its way into the round of the Scream 16, which means then this Friday... Uh, vying to make their way into the round of the Frightful Four. Ooh, ooh. We have Christine going up against Amityville 3D and the Twilight Zone going up against Sleepaway Camp. Uh-oh. So it is on the burden of the guests that are going to come in to help us decide which film uh, makes its way into that time. So until this Friday, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we will see you in your dreams. Yeah. <laughs>